Hello and welcome to We're Watching What. I'm your host, Dana, or the DHK as I'm known, and lots of things to review this week. There was a bevy of things that came out on streaming, and some of them are good, some of them are bad or mediocre, depending on how you feel. The good news is you're going to have a lot of things to choose from. Should you choose all of them? No, absolutely not. But let's roll right into it. First up is Borat Subsequent Movie Film, which is a sequel to the 2006 film Borat. And Borat is this creation of Sasha Baron Cohen, who I think is one of the funniest and smartest people sort of floating out there today. I remember crying laughing at the first Borat film. I thought it was so funny. I think it was such a good sort of skewering of American culture. I have not gone back and watched it since because I enjoyed it so much when I saw that first time. And I know that I am probably a much more enlightened and probably politically correct person now than I am than I was when I saw it. And I don't want to take away from that moment because I think it was the right political commentary for the time. And that doesn't mean that it necessarily holds up today. But I just enjoyed it and it was such a fun ridiculous crying laughing moment for me and so I just have chosen to accept that hey this was a moment in time it was okay to laugh at it moving on and so I was a little concerned when Borat 2 was announced because I was like okay well is is it going to evolve like the rest of us have evolved over the last 14 years and I think the answer is yes I think Sasha Baron Cohen, again, is so smart and there are some sort of stunts in this film that I am just astounded as to how they pulled off. If you are not a fan of Borat and if you are uncomfortable with the sort of, well, one, nudity and two, ludity and three, just the way that it's cringy and makes you uncomfortable and there's, I'm, I'm literally, my shoulders are rising right now as I'm describing this. This is not the film for you. It's no different than the previous one. It is uncomfortable, but I do think that it is sort of taking aim at the right people and not to say that the first Borat wasn't but this is taking aim at people who absolutely deserve to be made fun of and then there are people in it who are not necessarily being made fun of they are maybe more fringe representations of society but I feel like he does toe that line of or he could have crossed that line easily of making fun of them and I don't think he does the strangest thing to me is I mean they've sort of acknowledged this in the film right but lots of people know who Borat is now and so the fact that he still was able to sort of integrate with these people who didn't seem to know who he was or didn't realize that it's a character and not an actor. I'm not sure how he found those people, but I'm so impressed by it. The premise this time around is that Borat is to give a gift to the glorious leaders of America so that Kazakhstan will respect them. And, and then slight spoiler, but the gift ends up being his daughter. And so there's a new character in this one, his 15 year old daughter. And I think it was a really smart addition because it's a way to sort of add, the first one was really sort of objectified women. And I know it's presenting it in a way that's making fun of that, but it sometimes I think was hard for people to discern. This one, it is clear you have this female character who is such an integral part of the storyline. And I, I really thought that was a nice counterbalance to it. I spent a lot of the film just screaming and going like, oh my God, I can't believe this is about to happen. I can't believe this is about to happen. Some of the setups are just so ridiculous and so clever to plan it and to get these people to play into that moment. I just, I don't want to spoil it for anyone because I just think it's such a fun discovery to notice in those moments. If this movie doesn't inspire you to vote, I'm not quite sure what will. And then there are plenty of moments where I'm just worried for his safety because people do sort of know, some people know who Borat is and some people know that's an actor at this point, that there's an actor behind it. I was worried for him. They must have made this film so quickly because so much of it coincides with COVID and the some of the people he finds in regards to that. I just, I encourage you to see it. If you liked the first one, please watch this one. If you were potentially too young when the first one came out, but think it's funny, like think that sort of humor is funny, please watch this one because 
Again, at the end of the day, they're actually so smart. And I am so in awe of how like a laser cutter he's able to take aim at these people. And I think as long as you are accepting of the fact that you are supposed to be in on the joke or that you can convince yourself that you're in on the joke, then it's a, a very enjoyable movie experience. I totally acknowledge it is not for everyone. This is definitely a type of humor, but I encourage you to consider if you were sort of on the fence about it, watching this film. But I also am somebody who's like, I don't think I'll ever be able to watch this movie again just because it is so uncomfortable. There are clips of it that I think I would watch again, but I don't know if I could watch the entire thing. And I think the same thing goes for the first Borat film, even after I'd first seen it, right? I was like, I don't know how many times I sat down and watched it all the way through, but there are bits in it that are just so funny and so good. They're such good setups. And the other thing is I apologize to everyone who I'm going to try and do the voice at when I talk about this film, because it, you just slip into it because it's been in the cultural zeitgeist for so long. People know that voice. And, and I, my personal favorite thing about it is that generally speaking, he is speaking Hebrew. And so with the fact that so many of these people are, there's so many jokes aimed at anti-Jewishness, but, but if you are in on that fact that he's very Jewish and that he's very tuned into his cultural identity and he's using this to make fun of ignorance, again, I stand in awe of him. Also, the person who plays his daughter is I think great. I don't know what she's speaking. I'm hoping that she's, I'm assuming she's also speaking Hebrew because there are just these moments where so much of this can't be scripted. And so her ability to improvise, it's one thing that he, we know he is good at this. We know he is an improviser. We know he is able to handle these situations, but to find another person who is capable of that on his level is super impressive. So I personally am gonna give Borat 3.9 out of five, but again, I acknowledge that it is not going to be for everyone. Next up, I have On the Rocks, which comes out on Apple TV. And I feel like I saw this a lifetime ago, even though I only saw it two weeks ago, but there's just so much to review this week. I'm gonna start by saying, I love Bill Murray. I love Rashida Jones. I don't love Sofia Coppola. I very much like Lost in Translation. I think that's a great film, but the rest of her filmography, I'm not a really big fan of. And that's, it's, I don't hate them per se, but I'm just, they don't resonate with me. And I think this film, unfortunately, I thought maybe because there is a protagonist of color, it would sort of start to be a little more in my world. But I think she is still writing what she knows, which is fine. I think Sofia Coppola is still writing from a very privileged place and this film is very much about issues with your dad, it feels like, and, and your husband and whomever. And I feel like she's definitely working something out here. It's not something I ended up relating to as much as I thought I would. I watched the trailers and I was really excited. And then I watched the film and I was like, okay, this still quite isn't for me. And that's okay. It's not, not every film is meant for every audience, but this is definitely, you know, these films where these women and men have these crazy aspirational careers and live in these insane apartments and condos and houses that are just totally unattainable. It makes it hard to be relatable. And I think there are a lot of moments where, so let me back up a bit. The premise is a New York woman played by Rashida Jones and her impulsive larger than life father, Bill Murray, try to find out if her husband's having an affair. And I think there are a lot of moments in this that are relatable from a relationship standpoint. I think the interplay with the Rashida Jones and her husband, who's played by Marlon Wayans. There are moments that if you've been in any sort of relationship that has had trouble, you recognize. And I was like, oh, these are really well acted moments. These are relatable. And then it sort of dips into this crazy fancy, you know, he's a promoter for music or something along those lines. And she's a writer. And I'm like, oh, just for once, I would love for one of these characters to not have an impossible career that people could relate to like could she be something did she have to be a writer or could she have been any other job that you know your average citizen might have a better chance of connecting with then this film succeeds in certain points right she they have kids she goes to pick up her kids you can tell she's frazzled she has these other moms that she talks to those moments I thought were well done I thought this is such a cosmetic thing but I thought it was a smart touch 
the moms aren't always all super made up. Like I watch these films and I see these moms picking up their kids from school or dropping them off and they all look rolled out of bed ready for a photo shoot. And I'm like, I, the moms I know, bless their souls, I think they're amazing moms, don't have time to do that or realize that it's not a priority to them. The priority is get your kids to school. And so I think there were certain understated things in this that felt more real to an accessible real life than say other portrayals of these sort of high class, fancier echelons of society parents. But then Bill Murray rolls in and I love Bill Murray. I think he is fantastic. I think he's also such a great actor and I think we forget that sometimes but if you see something like Saint Vincent like he first of all he just plays some sort of aspect of Bill Murray in every film and that's a good and a bad thing I think because actual Bill Murray has such depth and such range that we aren't aware of we are just seeing sides of him but he's one of those actors for me who does not disappear he just shows you different facets of himself so he is charming that I think that is the number one thing I would say about Bill Murray he is charming and he of course is charming in this he plays this sort of swanky you know world traveler bachelor man who is Rashida Jones's father he spends a lot of the movie hitting on women which made me a little uncomfortable but it's also part of the character it makes sense with it and I also I'm like has Rashida Jones become our go-to non-threatening woman of color for films where it's like oh no I swear we have diversity because Rashida Jones is in it but this is really the story of more often than not a white woman and I'm not race does not matter as much here but it is something that I did consider when I was watching this film I think Rashida Jones is a great actress but there are times when I'm like I wonder if Sofia Coppola really wrote this with somebody else in mind overall I think my biggest challenge of it is I felt like Sofia Coppola's perspective flip-flopped a little bit and I am not sure 100% what she was trying to get across there are themes that she sees through to the end but there are a couple other themes where I'm like where were you going with this and so it feels a little bit incomplete to me. I think the other big challenge is everyone's hyping it up. It is, oh, Bill Murray and Sofia Coppola are reuniting. And Lost in Translation is a really good film. And I think there are going to be a lot of expectations based off of that, that this is not going to quite meet. I think actually, if you hadn't said this was a Sofia Coppola film, I think people would like it more. So I, I, you know, I wasn't able to watch it that first time with that perspective of it. But I think if you just watch it as a film and maybe didn't know that she was directing it, it might be less burdened by those expectations. Overall, I think of the things to watch this week, if you are an adult, because there are several films aimed at children this week, this is fine. It's good. You know, if you have Apple TV+, Plus, I think it's one of their better original films, for sure. I think it's a decent film. I think there are actually some outstanding moments in it. And of course, Bill Murray and Rashida Jones are super watchable. But is it the strongest film? I would have probably loved to rave about this film because the trailers did make it look really exciting to me, but it lost steam for me at the end. So, so I'm going to give it 3.7 out of 5. And then rounding out the films that are aimed at adults, this week is Rebecca which came out on Netflix which is a remake and it's based on a novel and it's the, the story is a young newlywed arrives at her husband's imposing family estate on a windswept English coast and finds herself battling the shadow of his first wife, Rebecca, whose legacy lives on in the house long after her death. And look, it is tough to remake a film that Alfred Hitchcock has made. And I think it's even tougher when you set it in about the same era. So what are you offering that Alfred Hitchcock couldn't offer? And the answer here is not a lot. It stars Lily James as the new Mrs. DeWinter and Army Hammer as Maxim DeWinter. I think the best actor in this for me was Kristen Scott Thomas as Mrs. Danvers. She plays the housekeeper. And then Anne Dowd has a, a short part in this as Mrs. Van Hopper. She's involved in the beginning. I like Lily James. I think she's a pretty decent actress. I'm not an Army Hammer fan. I loved him 
in the social network because he was the perfect casting for that because he plays douchebag really well it seems like he won his accent in this is does not feel great he does try the British accent and two I just feel like this story is super antiquated I don't connect to it as a modern woman and the film if it wants you to care about these protagonists depends on the chemistry between the two of them and they don't have chemistry in this so if you have all these kind of zany things happen and I don't care whether or not they stay together and I don't understand her motivation for being with him and trying so hard and I understand it's a period piece and so women back then you know 1940s they say this a lot in the film they don't have a lot of options but the fact that she is trying so hard to hang on to their relationship and he is he's a piece of man meat to her and a bank account like that's not chemistry that's just circumstantial and the fact that she is trying to hold on so hard to their romance or they're trying to sell this idea of romance does not resonate with me so I would say if you're a fan of the story just rewatch the Hitchcock version this is not going to do anything special for you if you are not familiar with the story just watch the Hitchcock version or if this sounds sort of off-putting to you if from a feminist slant don't watch it at all but this was not very impressive I don't really understand why you would set yourself up so much for failure in making this film but that's a choice they made and they have to live with it I'm only going to give this two out of five next up is The Witches which came out on HBO Max and this was a weird one for me so it's based on the Roald Dahl book and the I think good thing about this film is that it reminded me that Roald Dahl is actually a pretty scary writer in a good way but we definitely associate him with children's books and I think he's one of the greatest children's authors of all time but I'm remembering back to my childhood and remembering reading certain passages and being truly scared by them. And I feel like we see these films, I feel like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is the most famous adaptation of them, but that even has a couple spooky elements. Then you've got your Matildas, which again, there's a thing where they lock a kid in the, the chokey. You know, that's a pretty scary moment. And as a kid, especially reading those and letting your imagination run wild, those can actually be pretty terrifying. And I think we sometimes forget that the older we get. And I vaguely remember reading The Witches and have been a little bit scared of parts of it. The story is an orphan boy goes to live with his grandma and they run into some witches and then they go to try and escape somewhere and like take a little vacation to get away from them. And then they arrive at the same time as a witch convention. And so then hijinks ensue. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis, who has given us some of what I would consider some of the greatest films of all times, including Back to the Future and Forrest Gump and Castaway, great, great films, but he is also responsible for things like the Polar Express. So, uh, you know, like that's, that should tell you where he, we all have our ups and downs. And unfortunately, I feel like this is more of a down than it is an up. The other strange thing about this, and I didn't realize this until the credits rolled and it suddenly made more sense. The witches in general, and this I believe is adapted from the story, you know, they are, they're not women, they are just demons. And so their jaws sort of unhinge a little bit and their mouths are actually much wider than they are. And they have claws and toes and they don't have hair. And their mouths do this thing that very much reminded me of Pan's Labyrinth, which is something I was absolutely terrified. Like it's a visceral image for me and the slits of their mouths are sort of cut further back and they open their mouths really wide and I, they kept doing it in this film and I was like man this is so Pan's Labyrinth and then at the end the credits roll and I see that one of the writers and a producer is Guillermo del Toro so I was like oh okay this makes sense but in that case I actually wish they'd made this much scarier because it's sitting in this weird middle ground where it's a little bit scary at moments but it's also kind of not except for maybe those sort of giant jaws and and the fact that 
these women want to, uh, spoilers, but these women want to turn their, you know, all the children in the world into mice. <sighs> it's just, there was a lot of problems with it. And then I was trying to think, okay, this mo movie's not meant for me. And there are a lot of children's films that I think as an adult we can enjoy, but this is not going to necessarily be one of them. But then there are problems where I'm like, okay, it's an hour and 45 minutes. It's pretty long. There are moments that are extended sequences that I feel like are meant to be sort of zany, fun, etc., aimed at children. They're a little more actiony. There's sort of silliness with the mice scale, the scale of, you know, there are mice involved, but they didn't feel fun. Like no parts of this film felt fun. And I feel like if you are going to have a film for children, you want to keep them engaged. You also want, you want to keep any audience engaged, right? But the fact that the good and fun and I think moments that kids would connect to weren't fun at all. And which leaves me with, okay, well, if it's not really going to be an enjoyable experience for kids and it's not really going to be an enjoyable experience for adults, is this just because you tried to compromise on too many things and couldn't find your footing? I would have loved either a super scary version. I actually wouldn't have loved it personally, but I could have seen there being merit in a super scary version or a version that is really more fun for kids. But I don't feel like they connected to that joyfulness that there are like anytime there is joy in the film it feels very forced and then there are just sort of a bunch of logic questions and aside from the magic and that stuff I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for that there are just a lot of questions I have about choices made for this film a couple things I did appreciate we do have a black protagonist we have Octavia Spencer playing the grandma who is just a great actress I don't know if the original source material specifies the race of these people but I do like that we are getting a children's movie that features black protagonists Anne Hathaway plays the Grand High Witch <sighs> I don't like Anne Hathaway. I've been very vocal about that before. I don't like her here. Her accent keeps slipping. She's supposed to be from Norway, but she starts as a Russian kind of Bond villain. And then every once in a while is, it's, it's fine. It's whatever. This film is not for me, but this film is also not really for kids. So I'm not sure who it's for. And given the talent involved with it, I'm just disappointed by it. I don't even think it'd give your kids nightmares in like a fun way. And also Alfonso Cuaron is a producer on this. Like Kenya Barris is one of the screenwriters. How did they fail so spectacularly with so much talent involved? And the source material, it's just, it's one of those, it's a shame. It's just a shame. I don't really recommend this. I'm only gonna give it two out of five and I feel like that's being generous. And then the last film for this week is Over the Moon. And I am still not quite sure how I feel about this. I have written extensively about how I feel about the fact that it's a white director and this is one of the sort of greatest Chinese legends of all time and it's a white screenwriter and the cast is all Asian which I appreciate and it's an animated film and basically the story is a girl builds a rocket ship to meet a mythical moon goddess on the moon. Chang'e is the woman on the moon. There's festivals built around this. It's one of the sort of strongest cultural memories I have. You eat the moon cake. You tell the story of her on the moon. It's this epic sad love story. This is just sort of a mishmash and the director is Glenn Keane, who, if you're not familiar with animation, is probably one of the greatest living animators of all time. I don't know if that makes him one of the greatest living directors. He has had certainly success in directing. He won an Academy Award for Dear Basketball. He worked on some interesting short form stuff for VR and things like that. But I just, there's a lot of things that frustrated me about this film. And I fully acknowledge that I came into it with a lot of baggage and that I was really frustrated by the representation thing. And again, I said, the voice cast is all Asian, but this is a Chinese story. And that's not to say that you can't have other types of Asians voicing Chinese characters. But it was like a little bit sad because Mulan got directed by a white person. This is their other kind of major epic, definitely translatable story. And it also gets to go to white people. Like, come on, give us something here. And I wouldn't necessarily have this problem if non-Chinese directors were being given the opportunity to direct stories about non-Asian characters. But that's not happening right now. So the fact that you've taken 
this away from them and me and us, you know, it's it's pretty upsetting. And then the film itself, trying to put all of that aside, right? Trying to be like, okay, let me try and watch this just as is. One, not apparent from the trailers, it's a musical, which I don't have a problem with in general. I actually like musicals. Uh, I like them a lot, but I feel like it didn't have a perspective there. It was trying to sort of be Hamilton-y and it does have Philippa Sue as one of the main voices who originated on Broadway in the original cast of Hamilton. Then she's an amazing singer. She's also Asian. But I, I was just like, I don't get where this is going. I think there are a lot of design issues where a lot of these creatures and things don't feel like they belong in the same universe in terms of character. There's this whole surreal sequence. Everything that takes place on the moon feels like a ripoff of other things I've seen. A lot of this just doesn't feel original enough to me. It's easy in animation to compare things because there are certain styles, certain studios are known for things, but this one just kind of grabbed from different places and they don't all mix together. And there are moments I recognize where I'm like, oh, this is a very tangled animation because Glenn Keane is very involved in Rapunzel. He was like basically the, re he, you know, he's the reason that Ariel moves the way she moves, that Rapunzel moved the way she moved. And then there are moments that I'm like, oh, this feels like it's borrowing from Illumination and it's borrowing from the Minions. Like, what are they trying to do over here? And then this just feels like it's borrowing from DreamWorks. And I wish there had been one unifying vision for this film, but it felt like there was a layer of specificity and a layer of detail that was missing from all of the decisions that made this, you know, this could have been a contender on like a Pixar level film. It's quite possible or a Disney level film, but I think those elements are missing and I think that it will be good enough for plenty of people, but I wish it had been more because of the story, because of the opportunity, because of those things. I was willing to allow for the idea that had it been spectacular, that, okay, that's why you have Glenn Keane direct it. That's why you have Audrey Wells write it, who was white. Um, this is, it's like, caveat, spoiler, etc. Um, she is the writer of it. She passed away. I think I knew that going into watching this. That doesn't mean the average person is going to know that going into this. And I do think it helps amplify a lot of the emotion in the film, but having to have that knowledge going into it shouldn't be necessary for a film to actually move you. And so uh, there's like a million more things I want to say about this, but I will try and evaluate this as, okay, you're in quarantine, especially if you have kids, it's not a lot for you to do. You're going to watch this movie. In terms of this versus the witches, sure, I'll pick this any day. But in terms of me wanting this to meet the expectations of being good art, this did not meet those expectations. It's also an hour and 35 minutes and could lose probably 10, 15 minutes from it. And there were moments in it that I was like, oh, this gives me a glimmer of hope that this could have been this spectacular piece of art, but it feels like a piece of commercial production. And that to me is kind of a bummer. So I personally am only gonna give it two and a half out of five, but I acknowledge that it's nice to see representation. It's not a terrible film, you know, there's, I've seen worse, I guess that, that's the nicest thing I could say about it, but it could have been so much more. And I wish the opportunity had been given to people who really resonate with the story instead of being like, okay, well, this seems marketable.